Hey everyone, welcome back to the Alternate Oscars. I am your host, Gabe Guarin, and with every episode, I, along with a special guest, will be celebrating and rewarding our favorite films of each year starting in 1928. We will discuss our brief thoughts on each film we nominate, and comment on the actual Oscar year and some fun details on the ceremony. A few rules we always follow. We will be strictly following the reminder list of eligible releases. Those can be found on the website and the Oscar goes too. The amount of categories will also grow over time as a sort of tie-in to the Academy's evolution over time. With all that said, I would like to welcome the latest guest, Chris Makas. He is the co-host of the podcast category for the Oscars. Welcome, Chris. It's an honor to have you on here. Thanks. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and well done on my last name pronunciation. Most people don't get it right on the first try. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, I thought about how to pronounce it. I'm, I guess I'm glad that I got it right. And so, how are you doing today? How's your day been? Uh, it's been pretty good. Um, we, I am recording this from Scotland, uh, so very different weather than what you're getting over in the U.S., uh, Pretty much always yeah. cold here um, and rainy and a few scattered light days, but um, no, it's good. It's a great, it's a great country and it's a nice day. Yeah. I'd like to be out of America one day. Well, I recommend Scotland. So I always start with a question. What were your favorite films from this year that were not eligible for the Oscars? This is basically any film that was released in 1934 that was not on the reminder list of eligible releases for this year. Um, for me, it's a French film uh, by Jean Vigo called La Talente. Um, it's a uh, kind of kitchen sink drama kind of film before there were kitchen sink dramas um, about a couple a newlywed couple uh, living on a barge on the river between Paris and a few other cities in France. And um, it's just a wonderful film, um, a wonderful kind of human story, uh, which was unfortunately Jean Vigo's only feature film that he completed. He died uh, this 1934, the following year at a very young age of tuberculosis. But um, this film is a, uh, um, widely regarded as a as a classic and it's a shame that this came about 10 years before the academy discovered european films it is a shame i almost feel like this sort of movie was released at the wrong time under the wrong circumstances because it almost feels transcendiary and i liked how it almost messes with surrealism in many ways mm -hmm. while still managing to feel grounded in reality on some level yeah yeah there are several beautiful dreamlike sequences including a kind of underwater dance while the while the vitrophone plays a record uh, yeah it's quite a beautiful film so now let's get into our nominees starting with film editing all right. Um, my nominees for best film editing in this, the first year of its presence at the Oscars was um, The Count of Monte Cristo, 
The Lost Patrol, It Happened One Night, Men in White, and The Scarlet Empress. And um, I chose those for various reasons. I mean, The Lost Patrol and Men in White are both very short, but I felt that we're able to tell um, very deep and complex stories within a very short runtime, which I felt, you know, um, is down to the skills of a good editor. And with the other three, it's just the pacing of those other three is so good. Um, even though they're longer and they have more complex storylines, the editing is always on point, moving us through at a pace appropriate for the genre and the story. So um, five great examples, I think, of film editing. You do bring up a lot of good points of all the markings of a good editor and what they're able to do with a certain story. So my nominees are Eskimo, It Happened One Night, Queen Kelly, The Scarlet Empress, and The Thin Man. And going over a broad overview of all of them, Thinking about like what you said, I think they all, the editing in each of these films really suit the stories of each of the respective movies well. And they understand how to properly pace the movies. And I think of It Happened One Night. The editing is such a crucial element to making the comedy work. Like, everything has to be on point. The timing, especially, has to be right there. And the Scarlet Empress has to feel like this essentially one extended montage. And the editing plays into a lot of that. And then... The Thin Man just has this frenetic energy, again, aided by the editing. And Eskimo, I think, tells a solid story of survival through a lot of editing tricks. I can definitely see why this was the first ever winner in this category. And then Queen Kelly has to feel contained on a certain level, despite telling a story of such scale and ambition. Yeah, unfortunately, I have not yet seen Queen Kelly, uh, or all of Eskimo. I've only seen the first half of it. Um, but I do agree with you that um, it is pretty clear why it was a why it was the winner this year. Its editing is pretty on point. Yeah. So next is Best Cinematography. Yes, Best Cinematography. Um, my nominees for this one are The Black Cat. The Gay Divorcee, The Scarlet Empress, The Thin Man, 
and we live again. Um, that last one, we live again, a great one from Greg Toland, who of course would go on to photograph um, Citizen Kane. Um, you can see the elements of his style shining through in this early, uh, earlier work of his. Um, he manages to make great use of light and shadow to uh, set the scene and set the tone of the film. Uh, the Thin Man, of course, has those wonderful noirish um, shots combined with the kind of screwball comedy cinematography of the um, of the films uh, between Nick and Nora, the scenes, I should say. Um, the Gay Divorcee just looks amazing uh, from start to finish, very crisp and clear. The Black Cat, um, you know, universal horror flick, um, just gorgeous horror cinematography in that. Um, just a sense of dread pervades it. And of course, the Scarlet Empress, uh, you know, what can you say? It looks amazing. Um, every shot in it uh, is perfectly lit, perfectly shot and focused. And um, it's just a wonderful, all five, I think, great examples of the art of black and white photography. Agreed. I think some of these films, I, well, at least one of these films I haven't seen yet. But I do agree with all the points you made. So my nominees are Cleopatra, Eskimo, It Happened One Night, The Thin Man, and The Scarlet Empress. What I like about Cleopatra is its layering of imagery. It is very creative and its cinematography. And then Eskimo makes good use of its natural settings and the environments it's, photog it's photographing. And then it happened one night, just makes everything look gorgeous, like the use of shadows and the shading. Joseph Walker just understands what movie he's doing and how to add as much as he can to it. And then The Thin Man, uh, that is James Wong Howe, one of his earlier films that he lensed. And you can see a lot of his techniques and trademarks, his use of deep focus. And then The Scarlet Impress, like you said, perfectly shot, perfectly let, everything is on point. This, it looks like a painting like an ever-moving painting. So next is Best Art Direction. My Art Direction nominees, um, again, The Black Cat. And then I have The Count of Monte Cristo again, followed by The Gay Divorcee, The Merry Widow, and The Scarlet Empress. Um, the Black Cat, again, just um, the set designer, the art director there, you can tell I was having a good time filling the scenes with um, kind of menacing elements and furniture and doorways and just the layout of the, um, of the haunted, not really a haunted house, but for all intents and purposes, a haunted house. Um, the 
the next three, Account of Monte Cristo, The Gay Divorcee, and The Merry Widow, all kind of share the um, the opulence of just kind of um, high royalty and high society type set design. Um, it just looks amazing. Uh, the high ceilings, the ornateness of the doors and the furniture and everything else and the characters um, having to fill that vast space is always a challenge for the uh, actors and I think they all rise to it. And then of course, again, uh, the Scarlet Empress, the gargoyles within the palace are so um, grotesque, so wonderfully designed and every single one of them unique, every single one of them uh, telling their own story and they're present in the balustrades and the bedposts and the doorways. They're just omnipresent and they give the film such a creepy uh, and otherworldly, netherworldly, I suppose, feel. Yeah, I'll, I agree with all that. Like, especially mentioning the gargoyles. They are so creatively designed. So my nominees are Cleopatra, The Gay Divorcee, The Merry Widow, Queen Christina, and The Scarlet Empress. I think Cleopatra is just a lot of fun, and that's definitely reflected in the set design. And it just looks like what you would you would want this type of story to look like. It all looks very expensive, lavish, typical for a Cecil B. DeMille production. And then the gay divorcee is just so fun and elegant and classy and it's lovely to look at and then Murray Widow it's just another fun time another fun musical everything is so elegant it has that Lubitsch touch that extends even into the aesthetics of a film and then Queen Christina almost feels intimate and yet like some cavernous empty chamber. And then the Scarlet Empress is so exquisitely, intricately designed. Like every little aspect has a thousand little details that you might not even notice on the first watch. So next is best sound recording. Okay, best sound recording. And I have to admit that this was the hardest category for me to fill out um, because I can, I can identify good sound in films, but sound recording itself um, is a bit of a mystery to me. Um, I can definitely tell when sound recording is bad, but it's hard for me to uh, distinguish what makes great sound recording. So maybe that's uh, something I need to work on. So I kind of just approached this as best sound 
Um, and my nominees were The Black Cat, The Gay Divorcee, It Happened One Night, Men in White, and We Live Again. Um, with The Black Cat, I just liked the overall sound qualities of it. Um, and there were some scenes with um, several things going on in the soundscape simultaneously um, and being able to separate and edit those together, I felt was a good credit to the sound team. Um, it happened one night, the ambient sound, as always in a Capra film, he makes great use of background noises and background um, just goings on. And so the uh, the auditory landscape of the the road trip and the conversations and everything else was just so well done. Um, I skipped sorry the gay divorcee, just all the taps and all the songs and all the different um, noises and clinking of glasses and things like that. Uh, Men in White has several scenes in you know close quarter hospital rooms, operating tables, and things like that where there's a lot of sounds to pick up and it does so very well and finally we live again um has to kind of create several different areas of sound and several different um environments over the course of the film and make each seem unique from a country home to a soviet officer's I guess a pre-Soviet Russian officers, um, boudoir and offices and several others. And it does so very well and creates a unique soundscape for both or all of them, I should say. Agreed. Uh, so the thing with sound recording is that this is essentially just the sound category and this is what they, called a sound a category back then hence why it's called sound recording i'm not sure i could tell much difference between recording or mixing either but i just roll with it so my nominees are cleopatra the gay divorcee imitation of life it happened one night and matin and Manhattan Melodrama. It's kind of hard for me to describe sound work, but with each of these nominees, I feel like there are various um, different things going on, and they all need to be captured to the best possible way. And I think each of these nominees just sound good. Manhattan Melodrama in particular has a bunch of shootout scenes and a boat crashing. And it has to sound good to sell that. And It Happened One Night has to make the comedy elements sound good. And then Imitation of Life was an actual Oscar nominee in this category, and it may not immediately jump out, but I do think they do a lot of interesting stuff, subtle stuff, but 
it works and it's necessary for the movie. So next up is best song. Yes, yeah, another debut of 1933. Um, boy, this was, a, this was a good category as is actually. Um, I just kind of added to it. Um, my nominees are The Continental from The Gay Divorcee, uh, Carioca from Flying Down to Rio, Let's Fall in Love from Let's Fall in Love, Love and Bloom from She Loves Me Not, and then Needle in a Haystack from The Gay Divorcee. Um, and pretty much, I just love all these songs. Um, they're all, if not great films, at least all great songs. And I definitely think that Let's Fall in Love is a classic that definitely should have been, I felt should have been nominated. Um, maybe if the category had had five nominees, it might've gotten in. Um, Love and Bloom is um, a favorite of mine and I was happy to see it in the nominees and happy to keep it there. And yeah, I gave the, gave the divorcee the double nomination for Needle in a Haystack because it's the second best song in the movie and it comes with a great energetic dance number from Fred Astaire. Um, and it's just kind of catchy and I think he sings it really well. Um, so I was happy to give Gay Divorcee two nominees in this category. I somehow missed out on Let's Fall in Love, but yeah, I agree otherwise with your points. So my nominees are Blue Moon, The Bad and Every Man from Manhattan Melodrama, Carioca from Flying Down to Rio, The Continental from The Gay Divorcee, Love and Bloom from She Loves Me Not, and A Needle in a Haystack from The Gay Divorcee. And I think they're all just catchy, good songs that I like listening to. I think they're all just really good songs. And I'm not sure I have much more to add to that because it's kind of hard for me to analyze songs per se as much as I enjoy listening to music. Mm -hmm. I know what you mean. I want to add, though, that I was really happy to see that we both nominated Needle in a Haystack. Um, that's a very nice uh, overlap on the list. Yeah. So next is Best Original Score. Yes, Best Original Score, I have um, The Count of Monte Cristo. Um, sorry. Oh, yes, sorry. The Count of Monte Cristo, The Gay Divorcee, The Merry Widow, The Scarlet Empress, and The Thin Man. Um, all five, well, all except The Thin Man have kind of rousing um, interesting scores, um, kind of similar to what I was talking about with the art direction, the, the music of those films really lifts them up and elevates the mood to that kind of heightened, um, comedic, uh, level. The Thin Man just has a great, great kind of noir jazzy score. Um, 
that again sets the mood so well and helps it kind of straddle the line between screwball comedy and noir and then the scarlet empress's uh score is well the opposite of the merry widow it creates this dour um gothic mood perfectly befitting the dour gothic story Agreed. So my nominees are The Count of Monte Cristo, The Lost Patrol, Of Human Bondage, The Scarlet Empress, and The Thin Man. I agree about The Thin Man. It balances the act of being both noir and jazzy, but also being jaunty and light and comedic, and helps the movie balance those two separate tones very well. The Scarlet Empress is just bombastic, gothic, just an eerie, unsettling score, and it fits so nice to the movie. And then of Human Bondage, I just keep remembering that certain theme from it that keeps recurring, and I do think it suits the movie well. And then The Lost Patrol. I think is a good rousing adventure score for that movie. And then The Count of Monte Cristo, it's an early Alfred Newman score. He knows the assignments and he delivers another rousing epic adventure score that fits the movie. So next is Best Adaptation. Yeah, and this was another one that I had trouble narrowing down because there's, I mean, 90% of the films made in that time, it seems, were adaptations and there were lots of good ones. Um, But ultimately, I went with The Count of Monte Cristo, It Happened One Night, Of Human Bondage, The Thin Man, and 20th Century. Um, Of these, I am only really familiar with um, The Count of Monte Cristo and Of Human Bondage in their original form, Um, but I'm always impressed when films are able to take a kind of epic story, an epic novel like The Count of Monte Cristo that takes place over decades and tell it in a convincing way in the runtime of a feature film. And I think that this was a very successful adaptation in that regard. Um, similarly, of Human Bondage takes a film, it uh, takes a story that takes a long time to tell um, as a novel and tells it very well in just 90 minutes or so. Uh, the Thin Man is just, I, I'm, um, every line in it is so amazing. The dialogue is fantastic and um, it just crackles It's as, as a script and it moves so well. 20th Century is just adventurous and bombastic and full of those Ben Hecht, uh, Charles MacArthur, just glittering lines and glittering moments that they could craft so well. Um, and then, of course, how, you know. It happened one night. It's hard to argue with that as an adaptation, as a successful adaptation, um, as a script, as a romantic comedy, as a screwball comedy, as a road movie. 
it just hits all the notes and gets them all right. Definitely agree, especially about it happened one night, like balancing, juggling, like the certain subgenres of movies, like being a road movie and a screwball comedy. So my nominees are Imitation of Life, It Happened One Night, Of Human Bondage, The Thin Man, and 20th Century. Um, 20th Century, it's Hecht and MacArthur. They make such a good pairing, like, as writers, like, and their material is just dynamite, especially when they're writing screwball comedies, and taking jabs at, say, the movie industry. It is just such a fun experience. And their dialogue is so witty and acerbic. And then The Thin Man almost has, like, a self-aware sort of humor to its noir comedy tone and concept. Of Human Bondage, I kind of feel like a script is one of the weaker aspects of the film, at least in terms of how it's adapting the novel, but I still think it does what it should in terms of serving the movie. And then, again, it happened one night, it speaks for itself, the script is immortal, like, the dialogue is fantastic. And then, Imitation of Life is an interesting early adaptation of Fanny Hurst's novel, and I think asks a lot of intriguing questions about the relationship at the center and other relationships in the movie. Interesting that Ben Hecht was nominated in this category this year, but for the wrong movie, for uh, Viva Vila rather than for 20th Century. It's, it's a curious decision on the Academy's part. Yeah, I feel like they liked their biopics that made them feel like they were doing something relevant or socially just. Mm-hmm. Only reason I can think of that Viva Vila got four nominations. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, next up is Best Original Story, which is what they called Original Screenplay at the time. Yes. My nominees for Original Story are Manhattan Melodrama, Queen Christina, The Richest Girl in the World, The Scarlet Empress, and You Can't Buy Everything. Um, Manhattan Melodrama, of course, won the Oscar this year for its original story. Um, and it's just a it's just a very nice, intricate um, and complex without being overwhelming story that I think touches on a lot of issues um, that were especially prevalent at the time. The question of can you be a criminal and still a good person um, and trying to tell that story um, as the well, it was, it's technically a pre-code film, but the code was starting to loom 
Um, so telling it in that context is very, um, I think a very interesting tightrope to walk. Uh, Queen Christina takes a historical figure and crafts a very compelling story out of her life or a, you know, a kind of fictionalized version of her life. It takes a lot of interesting risks and experimentation with its script and its title character that pay off very well. Um, and it creates a portrait of Christina that's not so much interested in historical accuracy as much as understanding the person, which I think is a bold step and a good step. Uh, the Richest Girl in the World is probably the weakest of these five nominees for me. It did get an actual nomination, but it's short and a I feel a little half-baked, but I, I nominated it because of what it could have been, I think, with a little more time and a little more care. Um, the Scarlet Empress, uh, again, just has a fantastic script um, that takes its main character uh, through a great arc. It's full of colorful characters um, that each feel unique and alive. It pays special attention to its pacing and its development. And then You Can't Buy Everything is a just kind of a fun tale of a greedy woman, a greedy old woman learning the value of not being greedy. And I'm simplifying and making it sound kind of dumb, but it's a it's an interesting movie. I think, and an interesting look, again, in, in Depression-era America, look at wealth and what it means to be rich um, and what it means to different people. Uh, so, yeah, I felt it. Um, I felt that script deserved a little, at least a nomination. You do lay out some good points about each of these scripts. Uh, I think some of these I haven't seen, like the richest girl in the world, but again, you do lay out good points about all of them. So my nominees are It's a Gift, Manhattan Melodrama, Queen Christina, Queen Kelly, and The Scarlet Empress. I think with the three queen scripts and uh, well depends on if you if Catherine the Great was a queen I'm not sure but I'm just gonna call them the three queen scripts I'll basically co-sign what you said it's not so much about historical accuracy as it was about understanding the central characters at the heart of these movies and it was a bold step that I think paid off for all of them. And then Manhattan Melodrama, like you said, asking questions about can you be a criminal and a good person at the same time? And questions about can you move past a criminal life? And then It's a Gift. I just found it to be a good time, a fun time, and I can sort of see why W.C. Fields was popular back in his time, even if he's not 
exactly for me. Yeah, I've not seen It's a Gift yet. Um, not too familiar with W.C. Fields, honestly. Um, I've seen some of his short films and things like that, but I haven't seen, I don't think I've seen any of his features. So I have to get on that. Yeah. Um, he's fine for what he is. So, Best Actress is next. Best Actress, um, my nominees in this category, a very, very um, tight race category in most years. Um, my nominees are Claudette Colbert, for It Happened One Night, Betty Davis of Human Bondage, Irene Dunn in The Age of Innocence, Myrna Loy in The Thin Man, and Mae Robeson in You Can't Buy Everything. Uh, Claudette Colbert, you know, what can you say? It's the quintessential uh, screwball comedy performance, and she gives it that unique kind of Colbert quality that defines so many films of this period. I mean, she was in three of the real Best Picture nominees alone, so she was very, uh, very hot this year, and this is her uh, an amazing performance that drives the movie so well. Betty Davis, of course, snubbed and then written in for of Human Bondage, but I'm going to give her an official nomination here um, for a role that took a lot of guts. Um, and that was one thing she always was, was gutsy and um, knew what she wanted and always wanted to kind of expand her comfort zone. And taking a role like this um, as still kind of an up and coming actress was a big risk and it pays off fantastically for her uh irene dunn in the age of innocence not a great movie obviously has nothing on the scorsese film um, of 1993 but gives a good chance for irene dunn to show her dramatic chops better than in some of the dramatic roles that she was really nominated for um and i'm always happy to give irene dunn more oscars attention Myrna Loy and The Thin Man, again, just like Colbert, lending this unique style and unique approach to her role, um, making it her own and really nobody else could have done it the way she did it. Um, the perfect foil for her leading man. And then Mae Robeson and You Can't Buy Everything. Um, uh, she was nominated for real the previous year for Frank Capra's Lady for a Day. And here she's kind of playing the opposite of that, a wealthy older woman uh, who is just a complete miser, a penny pincher, a greedy, greedy person who uh, has basically lost her humanity. And it's to her credit and maybe to the film's credit that we're not sure if she's going to get it back by the end of the film. Um, a lot of the time, this kind of moral is a foregone conclusion, but she makes it interesting. And I won't spoil it uh, for anybody who might want to see it, but she's really good in it. Um, so I, I thought she deserved a nomination. Those are all good points about your nominees. So my nominees are 
Claudette Colbert for It Happened One Night, Louise Beavers for Imitation of Life, Betty Davis for Of Human Bondage, Greta Garbo for Queen Christina, and Myrna Loy for The Thin Man. Like you said about Colbert and Myrna Loy, it's such a they both have such unique, distinctive styles of performing. Like, I'm almost tempted to call it, like, darkly, slightly seductive in a way. But they also have a good understanding of how flightiness and comedy works. And they know how to elicit a lot of great laughs. And there's not much you can say other than they give iconic comedy performances. I would define some, basically, a lot of the tone of the 30s and influence a lot of performances of the future. And then Betty Davis, again, takes so many risks and is basically... Creating almost a foreground to what we would consider method acting with the way she uses makeup that she designed herself, her body language. She's just so cutting, and this is a great early step for her. And then Louise Beavers, I feel, is almost the heart of this movie. Imitation of life. She's truly soul stirring. And Greta Garbo, you could say it's sort of a typical Garbo type, but again, she's good at playing this type. And you can definitely get a sense for being closed off out of a fear of being hurt by people. And it's to her credit that you understand a sense of insecurity. Yeah, it's, uh, that's a really good point that you made about Betty Davis and the makeup and everything. It is kind of method acting. Uh, before we knew what method acting was. Um, definitely a forerunner of that, yeah. Next up is Best Actor. All right, Best Actor. Pretty strong lineup uh, of good performances to choose from this year. My, I have John Barrymore in 20th Century, Robert Donnett in The Count of Monte Cristo, Clark Gable and It Happened One Night, Leslie Howard of Human Bondage, and William Powell for The Thin Man. Um, and immediately when I was making this list, I saw that I had three films with nominations uh, in both categories. And that's because those all three of those films just have such commanding co-lead performances um, with strong arcs for both sets, for all three sets of characters. Um, John Barrymore in 20th Century is just so, so manic, so over the top. I have to imagine he's doing 
an impression of a theater director that he knew um, because he's so on point with all of his mannerisms and he's really kind of living this performance all the time. He's always on and it could be exhausting, but he's also endearing in a kind of roguish way. Um, Robert Donat in The Count of Monte Cristo is a rascal and uh, Robert Donna played a great rascal. Um, he's hell bent on revenge, but not to the point where it lets him, it affect his boyish charm. Uh, even, you know, 20 years in solitary confinement can't kill that twinkle in his eye. Um, Clark Gable and it happened one night again, one of the iconic performances of the genre. Um, he comes in there with that, unique gable charm um and sweeps us off our feet as an audience long before uh claudette colbert catches up um leslie howard um probably my favorite actor of this time and criminally ignored uh for the most part by the oscars and this is such a great performance from him um such a kind of heart-wrenching performance from beginning to end because I, just like John Barrymore living the part of the uh, manic theater director, he lives the part of this man who is hurt over and over and cannot extricate himself um, from the clutches of Betty Davis's character um, and the humanity that Howard brings to it and the hurt that we can see the heartbreak in every scene. And finally, William Powell uh, in The Thin Man. Um, I first saw this film when I was a teenager and I couldn't wait to be old enough to drink martinis because uh, he just made them look so amazing. Um, now, unfortunately, they don't turn everybody into William Powell because you have to, I found out you have to be William Powell first um, but man, what a performance uh, this is. Every line, he, just like with Myrna Loy, every line he gives is just delivered so perfectly. Their sense of timing together is wonderful. Um, and they showed they could do drama together as well in Manhattan melodrama, but I think their true home is here in the screwball comedy. Agreed with all that. I I really loved like learning more about Powell and Loy's on screen partnership. And they seem just so natural and right together. So my nominees are Clark Gable in It Happened One Night, Frank Morgan in The Affairs of Cellini, Leslie Howard in A Human Bondage, William Powell in The Thin Man and John Barrymore in 20th Century. And when it comes to Frank Morgan, he's such a, he's not the lead character per se, but he is such a great foil to Frederick March's character. And like the way he conveys just buffoon who thinks he's tougher than he is, is so funny. And Clark Gable, it's an iconic screwball comedy performance. He is just a dashing, charming rogue who actually has an arc and grows as the movie progresses. And then 
Leslie Howard conveys the hurts with his character and almost feels like a tortured genius trying to escape like the troubles of his life but not quite getting there and then William Powell he's just so smooth and suave and cynical and then John Barrymore everything about his the way he carries himself and channels like a manic theater director is just on point like you said rogue just like just as I described with Gable and you described him roguish is a perfect description for him as well it's just an off the walls performance that works for the movie So next is Best Director. Yes, Best Director. And my nominees are Frank Capra, It Happened One Night, Howard Hawks, 20th Century, Ernst Lubitsch for The Merry Widow, W.S. Van Dyke for The Thin Man, and Joseph von Sternberg, The Scarlet Empress. Um, Frank Capra directs the hell out of it happened one night. Um, he had been honing his skills for years at Columbia. Um, and he'd also been chasing the Oscar um, for several years. So he'd really been kind of um, working on, working towards that goal. So he finally hit upon, you know, the perfect Oscar movie. And it wasn't by accident at all. He made this movie to get the sweep that he got and he he earned it um he earned it he guides this film from start to finish with a very steady hand um howard hawks 20th century again um he takes what could be a maddening exhausting lead character and manages to fit him into a story um and within the rest of the cast so well that it all just works. And he takes um, he takes risks with this kind of new genre, this screwball comedy genre that it happened one night kind of kickstarted. Um, and he tells a story really well. And he has a he has a firm hand on what he wants. So the film feels self-contained and and well put together. Uh, Ernst Lubitsch, we mentioned briefly, you mentioned briefly earlier, the Lubitsch touch, and he has it here. Um, he has his familiar actors, you know, Maurice Chevalier and, and Jeanette MacDonald, um, lets them do their thing while kind of keeping an eye on things, making sure that it all works, making sure that the pacing is there. W.S. Van Dyke with The Thin Man, blending, as we talked about before, blending noir with screwball comedy. Um, how can you not admire that? And then Joseph von Sternberg, The Scarlet Empress, creating such an atmosphere, creating such a experience with this film. Um, every aspect of it is so on point, and that's such, to his credit, as the driving creative force behind this film. 
agreed with all of that. Uh, to your point about Frank Capra going out of his way, wanting to win all those Oscars and making the movie that would win him the Oscars, it is. <laughs> I think it's funny how we use the term Oscar baits, and how when we think about that, we typically think of you know, like great man biopics, British biopics about important things and important people. Uh, for a time, a lot of them was produced by Harvey Weinstein. Thank God <laughs> that's not happening anymore, but he also had stuff from companies like Working Title and some others I'm forgetting. But it is interesting to think that at one point, the perfect Oscar bait was a romantic screwball comedy and not only did Frank Capra know what he was doing and reap his rewards, he made a damn great movie yes. to go along with it. I just love that story. Mm -hmm. So, my nominees are John M. Stahl for Imitation of Life, Frank Capra for It Happened One Night, John Cromwell for of Human Bondage, Joseph von Sternberg for The Scarlet Empress, and W.S. Van Dyke for The Thin Man. I think Van Dyke, again, handles the clashing tones of the movie and manages to make them meld together very well. You definitely get that sense of pulpiness from, Dash, from Dashiell Hammett's material, but also a lightheartedness that makes the movie go down very well. And then with the Scarlet Empress, Joseph von Sternberg turns it into basically a collage, a painting, just a just a constantly moving work of art. And it's mesmerizing to look at. I think John Cromwell's direction of of a uh, of human bondage is very steady and almost painterly like he takes his time and patience with these characters and expects you to be on his wavelength and then frank capra what can you even say it's it's legendary for a reason he made such a good movie and his direction is stellar and then John M. Stahl brings a sense of humanity, but also some very interesting visual elements as well. And he wants to ask those interesting questions that make you wonder what things could be like, what things are like. So next is Outstanding Production. Yes, and the, the Academy, in its wisdom, decided to expand the category to 12 nominees this year. Um, but we will be uh, being a little more restrained and sticking with 10. Um, my nominees, and, and this is the, before I say my nominees, this category is so aggravating um, in this year in particular for me. Um, 12 nominees, and they range from 
timeless classic to absolutely forgettable. And I don't think I, I think this year, 1934, out of all the Oscars has the biggest gulf between the top and the bottom of the best picture category. Other years that might come close, I guess, even, I mean, 2018, I suppose, between Roma and Green Book or maybe 1969 between, you know, you got Midnight Cowboy and Z at the top and then Hello Dolly somewhere way the hell, you know, in the center of the earth. But this year, 12 nominees and I've only kept three of them. Um, my nominees for Outstanding Production are The Count of Monte Cristo, The Gay Divorcee, It Happened One Night, The Lost Patrol, Manhattan Melodrama, The Merry Widow, Of Human Bondage, The Scarlet Empress, The Thin Man, and 20th Century. Um, this is the year of the screwball comedy, and I really wish the Academy had embraced that in the best picture category. Um, Count of Monte Cristo is just a rousing uh, historical romp, um, great performances, particularly I mentioned Robert Donut and it's got, um, it looks great and it's got a good adaptation. Uh, the Gay Divorcee, again, I mean, it's a, it's a tap dancing screwball comedy with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Can't be bad. Um, it happened one night. I'm running out of plaudits for it at this point because we've been talking about it in the previous categories, but um, it's the quintessential screwball comedy. It set the tone for the rest of the year with its um, new genre. Um, so. It's got to be in there. The Lost Patrol is kind of my dark horse nominee here. Um, I only nominated in one other category and I almost bumped it um, at the last minute, but I decided to keep it in because it's experimental. It's dark. It's not always a success, but it's always interesting. It keeps your attention. And I appreciate films from this time that kind of had the courage to go to very dark places and not necessarily come out of them. Manhattan Melodrama, as we mentioned um, when we were talking about its screenplay, it tells a very deep and interesting story that was very of the time, but also timeless. It gave, it, it was kind of a bridge for Clark Gable, I guess, from his bad gangsters to his good guys being a semi-good gangster. The Merry Widow is just a great entry in Ernst Lubitsch's filmography. And it's, um, I'm sorry that it got overlooked by the Academy in all but a couple of categories. Uh, there's Of Human Bondage, there's really no excuse for this not being a Best Picture nominee. It's a, it's a adaptation of a great novel. It's got it's bolstered by two great lead performances. And as Gabe was mentioning, very good direction that itself could have been nominated. Um, the Scarlet Empress. I do not understand why this was not showered with nominations this year. Um, and I'm glad that we have been putting that right today. It, what a film. 
um, from start to finish, it's a perfectly crafted, masterful production. The Thin Man, just uh, along with It Happened One Night, when I think of 1934, I think of these two movies. I think of It Happened One Night and The Thin Man. And now I suppose 20th Century, which I, um, shame to admit I had not seen uh, before Gabe invited me on here. So I was really happy to have a excuse to watch this one and discover how amazing it was and happy that it um, got into, I mean, I was halfway done with it before I knew I would be nominating it for best picture. I'm glad to hear all that. It is fascinating to think about like, they have 12 opportunities to reward like the best of the best and they go for a bunch of disposable junk like flirtation walk here comes the navy the house of rothschild a bunch of other movies you don't remember and you're just left wondering what is this and i guess we just have better we non-oscar voters just generally have better taste in the academy most of the time. Amen. Yeah, and this series is a good excuse to flaunt that and flex that. So, my nominees are Imitation of Life, It Happened One Night, It's a Gift, Manhattan Melodrama, Of Human Bondage, The Scarlet Empress, Queen Christina, Queen Kelly, the Thin Man, and 20th Century. Uh, I feel like I've said enough about these nominees in some capacity or another. I think they all reflect a unique perspective on filmmaking in 1934. Queen Kelly was not a 1934 movie, but it was eligible for 1934 awards. So give or take with that but yeah I think this is a good set of nominees that I settled on did you get your phone stuff oh. oh sorry for my cat <laughs> nice what's the name uh, Wesley nice hi Wesley So, now it's time to announce our winners. Starting with film editing, ending with picture. Well, my winner for film editing is It Happened One Night. Um, as we, you know, as you talked about before, it just keeps the comedy moving, keeps the story moving at a good uh, screwball pace. Um, and a lot, you know, it's bolstered by so much, but I think the editing was a big part of uh, what made it so perfect. My winner for film editing is The Thin Man. And I'm basically thinking along the lines of, I really want to give something to The Thin Man, and I feel like this is a good place to reward it, because the editing plays such a crucial role in helping the Thin Man identify its own unique tone in between two separate tones. 
for cinematography, I have the Scarlet Empress. Um, moody, gothic, shadowy, um, great long focus shots, tight shots, everything just looks so amazing in this film. My winner is also the Scarlet Empress. It's, it's just so clearly the best for me. Like, it looks gorgeous, like a painting, like a collage, like a montage. Like, it feels like it is never, like, stopping within itself. And I'm, I was just so wrapped up in it. It's gorgeous to look at. And, yeah, it's just wonderful. So next is Best Art Direction. Uh, yeah, Art Direction. I also have the Scarlet Empress, um, pretty much for the same reason uh, as I gave it cinematography. It's so wonderful to look at. Um, and again, those gargoyles are mesmerizing. Um, Hans Dreher and his team um, really knocked it out of the park with this. Uh, and I don't know how much of it was in the script or how much of it was them just thinking, you know, what would a Gothic Russian Orthodox mansion look like uh, and just running with it. But either way, fantastic work. Yeah, agreed. And I have the Scarlet Empress again as the winner for many of the same reasons. It's just... I can't put into words how incredibly well-designed it is. It is stunning to look at. It goes beyond words, really. And for uh, best sound recording, uh, I have the Gay Divorcee. Um, <laughs> I'm not really sure why. Like I said before, I don't understand this category as well as a lot of the other ones. Um, I will say, though, that it sounds great and they capture all of the sounds really well. So well done, Carl Dreyer. I can see that. So, my winner is Manhattan Melodrama. For me, it's kind of the most obvious, I guess, of my list of nominees. And it just sounds gorgeous. Like, Douglas Shearer can do no wrong. Yeah. He also did uh, Men in White, which was my, another one of my nominees. Um, I don't know. Maybe subconsciously I figured that he had enough Oscars and I wasn't going to give him another one. Uh, yeah, I have that thought sometimes. <laughs> so, next up is Best Song. 
Yes, and best song. Um, this one, uh, I think they got right. It's my pick is The Continental from The Gay Divorcee. Uh, it's got great lyrics, great music, um, great dancing to go with it. Um, the sequence is a very long sequence in the film, but it doesn't feel draggy or overlong at all. Uh, it's just a fantastic little ballroom dance number and Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers um, obviously are amazing together dancing to it. So again, my winner, sorry, just my cat is doing weird things right now. No worries. So my winner for best song is the Continental, just like you, the Continental from the Gate of Orsay. And I am particularly impressed by its ambition. Like, this is such an ambitious song in its structure and composition. And it's just really fun. So yeah. Next is best original score. Best original score, my winner is Scarlet Empress. Um, and again, just uh, this movie is such a great example of when every aspect of filmmaking comes together to make a great film, the score is such a big part of that. Um, it drives the film without being overbearing uh, and without feeling obvious. Like it's not cueing us to feel a certain way. It truly is working with and underlying the emotions and the feelings that are on the screen. Um, it's an amazing score. My winner is of Human Bondage. I just think that central theme score continues to stick with me. And it's just haunting and it suits the movie very well. So next up is Best Adaptation. Yes, and my winner for adaptation, um, and my winners are about to get real repetitive, um, it's It Happened One Night. Um, it took this in real life, and it's hard to argue with it. Uh, the script by Robert Riskin is almost, I can't really think of much wrong with it. Um, he writes each character so well, they all have um great lines at least one classic line a piece throughout the film obviously the leads take most of them but even the supporting characters have something to give and something to deliver uh it's a great a great screenplay agreed it happened one night is also my winner uh, 
what can I say? It's just an immortal screenplay. Like, the dialogue is immortal. Like, the structure defines so much of the rest of the 30s and so on. It's just, it's genius. It really is. So next is Best Original Story. For Best Original Story, um, my winner is Manhattan Melodrama. Uh, for its treatment of those themes uh, in a way that isn't moralizing, like um, a lot of films became kind of once the code really took hold, you got a lot of kind of moralizing crime dramas. And this was just before that when they could still be, they could still have shades of gray. Um, obviously crime is still punished but it doesn't feel tacked on and it doesn't feel like um appeasement of the moral code that they were forced to follow uh so i think it's a great a great screenplay and a great original story for that reason yeah I agree with those points. Uh, I know that Joseph Almeguwicz had a co-writing credit on this, and if you're familiar with his writing style, you can definitely see a lot of his um, his writing style and his almost humanism in this script. before he crafted out his own niche as writer-director in classics like All About Eve. My winner is Queen Christina. I think from a script perspective, it does the best job in showing us an idea of who the central character is just from a purely script perspective. And painting an interesting narrative around a fictionalized account. So next is Best Actress. My winner here is Claudette Colbert for It Happened One Night. Um, for all of the reasons that we went into when we were talking about her as a nominee, um, it's an iconic performance, a kind of genre-defining performance even, um, and it's uh, performed in that uniquely Colbert way that gives it that extra bit of magic that it needs to succeed. Agreed. And she's my winner for the same reason. Like, you can't go wrong with a performance as iconic as this. You really can't. It is just... I have trouble describing it because it's just perfect. And it's kind of hard to describe such a pitch-perfect performance. 
So next is Best Actor. And a similar problem arises here. Um, Clark Gable is my winner. Um, Again, what can you say about it? Uh, He comes on screen and holds us, holds our attention from the get-go. And we're always rooting for him, even when he does some questionable things. Um, Because he's just so charming. We want him to succeed. Even if he had turned out to be a scoundrel, I think we'd still be on board with him because of he's so engaging as a performer and he does so well with this role. I agree. <laughs> he's my winner for the same reason, you know, it's just another perfect performance, and I just kind of have to co-sign everything you say because I can't really come up with it, with any original words to describe a performance that has already been described to death. So next is Best Director. Come and get it, Frank. Um, <laughs> it happened one <laughs> night. Um, yeah, really happy that Frank Lloyd wasn't nominated this year because nobody wanted a repeat of the previous year's uh, kerfuffle. Um, uh, but yeah, Frank Capra um, finally got it. Well, I would argue he'd gotten it right um, before this, but he really hit the sweet spot with it happened one night. Um, and this was, I mean, at the time, the culmination of everything he'd been working for for the past few years, but of course, uh, he couldn't have known that he had two more coming to him in a very short period of time, um, but never for a film that as good as this. Um, he really, yeah, this was his masterpiece um, and yeah, rightfully won the Academy Award for this film. Agreed. Uh, I have him as my winner for the same reason. It's just... It's just perfect. And there's not really much more I can add to that conversation. Other than it's perfect. So next is Outstanding Production. Um, well, probably not a lot of suspense here. Um be hard to deny it at this point it's just desserts um it happened one night is clearly the winner um clearly the outstanding production of 1934 um like i said the thin man is also one of my favorite films uh the scarlet empress is also a masterpiece 20th century is a manic uh very fun ride i might not put it quite at the same level as the other three but it's damn close um but it happened one night is just above and beyond and it yeah kind of kicked hollywood into a new gear i think that um i think it forced everybody to step up their game uh and when a film can say that it's hard not to call it the best film of the year yeah uh it happened one night is clearly the winner and not a whole lot of competition 
it is clearly the film of 1934, and yeah, I, there's not much that I can add to the conversation. It's just a defining American staple of cinema. and a defining romantic screwball comedy because it is a screwball comedy it is quintessential it is it happened one night so yeah did you um now that we've gone to our winners did you want to talk about a few things about the ceremony? Because I know I wanted to touch on the Betty Davis controversy. Mm. Yeah, the, we can definitely talk about that. Um, it's, I mean, it, it politics has always been a big part of the Oscars, right? Uh, pressure from studios uh, to nominate what they want or not nominate who they don't like. Um, and the omission of Betty Davis from the, uh, from the official list of nominees is definitely one of Oscar's earliest and biggest ridiculous missteps. Um, but unfortunately, um, unlike us, they were not judging this film solely on their merits, um, and the performances. And sometimes that got in the way uh, of truly honoring the best performances and best work of the year. And I think this is a sad example of that. I agree. Uh, I know that she was widely expected to get a nomination, and after she got in, got the writing nomination, there was talk at the time of how could, she could still win, and... I just think about that it's always sunny in Philadelphia meme or that guy is like uh, pointing at some highly convoluted graph. <laughs> uh, yeah. But Claudette Colbert was clearly always going to win. And as much as I like Betty Davis in that performance, there was no other right winner that year than Claudette. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's funny that um, Betty Davis was the only one who was actually there, right, of the Best Actress nominees. Claudette Colbert was about to catch a train uh, when they had to chase her down and bring her back to accept the award. Uh, because we kind of forget that back then the Oscars didn't mean as much as they would go on to. Um, and in a lot of respects, we have Frank Campra to thank for that. Um, but that's a story for um, a later episode of your show. Uh, but suffice it to say that in 1934, the Oscars were on thin ice and uh, to the point where, yeah, they had to chase down Claudette Colbert and drag her back, convince her to, to get a later train uh, so that she could have a cute little photo op with Shirley Temple. Um, handing her her Best Actress award. Agreed. Uh, wait. 
and it is interesting to think of how the academy where the academy was in 1934 alienating people left and right actors and writers formed unions to take a stance against the academy and at that point it was just a couple of producers deciding the whole thing and it's one reason why they uh, introduced the supporting actor categories in 1936 to win over some of the actors they had alienated. Yeah, it was definitely a dark time uh, for the Academy, but again, uh, Capra didn't just want to win an Oscar, he wanted it to survive, so when he became Academy President the year after this win, uh, he really turned it around. So we, the fact that we are even still talking about the Oscars and not just, uh, oh yeah, that was an interesting seven or eight years in early Hollywood when they did these things called the Oscars. Um, I think we, I think we have Capra to thank for that. Definitely agree. So. Now we are going to answer questions from the audience. So, Emily Blakowski asked, did it happen one night deserve all its Oscars? <laughs> I think that's a pretty easy question to answer. Yes. Yes. Absolutely it did. Um, and we, yeah, we've we've gushed about it and awarded it all of its Oscars again. I even threw it an extra one uh, just for good measure. Um, of, yeah, of course, it deserved everything and it continues to deserve the esteem that it holds. The Best Pictures podcast asked, romantic comedies are not a well-represented genre among Best Picture winners. What about It Happened One Night do you think made it break through? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I, th I mean, for me, it's because it was so fresh. Like, nowadays we know that rom-coms are not well represented, but it didn't really exist as a category back then. Uh, certainly not screwball comedy. Um, and just how new it was and how interesting it was at the approach to romance was just something people had not seen before. And I think people responded to that uh, obviously in a big way. It was a huge hit with the public as well, um, of course. And it kind of, like I said, heralded a new paradigm of Hollywood filmmaking. I think films you can kind of draw a line in the sand between pre it happened one night films and post it happened one night films. Uh, and that, I mean, that for me is why it, uh, why it defied genre stereotypes and took home everything. I would definitely agree. You could make the argument that it's somewhat 
elevated in a sense, even within its own genre, because you do get a bit of social commentary. You do get... I felt like it feels a bit less... a tad less com contained than some other screwball comedies, because you have the road trip element. And I do get the sense that this is somewhat designed to be a bit more prestigious than just a quote-unquote regular screwball comedy from this era. But that's obviously not a knock on it, because it's obviously amazingly well-constructed and designed. So... Callum Reed asked, Is Imitation of Life better than the 1959 remake? I'm afraid I can't offer an opinion because I have not seen the remake, or at least I haven't seen all of the remake. Um, I came in on it in the middle once and decided I didn't want to um, watch it from midway through so i only saw like 10 minutes in the middle so unfortunately i i have not seen it so i can't compare uh same i haven't seen the 1959 version either so best picture cast asked is there another best picture winner or nominee over the years that you felt could realistically have joined uh, it happened one night cuckoo's nest and sounds of the lambs as a winner of the big five Jeffrey Carr actually followed up this question with some research he'd done. And the four films that came the closest that missed out on only one of the big five were Gone with the Wind, Mrs. Miniver, Annie Hall, and American Beauty. Well, that, yeah, I think you would be choosing pretty much between those four. Um... And I think of those four, probably Gone with the Wind was the only one that really had a had a chance. Because um, Mrs. Miniver, I don't think that Walter Pidgeon was close to a victory there. Um, Annie Hall, again, Woody Allen, they gave him director. I really don't think that's the kind of movie that you're going to win both director and actor for that performance in particular I, I like him in it but I, I don't think he's going to win the Oscar um, American Beauty I guess that could have been close to Annette Benning, as Jeffrey pointed out did win the SAG award and I don't think that Hillary Swank's win was anything close to a lock um, so maybe American Beauty and maybe Gone with the Wind although again you had Robert Donnett uh, coming in pretty strong in um, Goodbye, Mr. Chips. The fact that he was able to kind of stop the Gone with the Wind juggernaut that year is pretty impressive. Um, but I would say probably Gone with the Wind and American Beauty are probably the two most likely um, of the ones that came close to uh, sweeping. I would agree. Uh, I did some research on the 1939 Best Picture Oscar race, 
did reveal that the race was in that the race and best actor was between mainly between Robert Donat and James Stewart. So I'm gonna say the closest that any film has gotten outside of those four. I'm gonna no wait. Yeah, the three. I think the only, the closest any other film has gotten to winning the big five besides the established three was American Beauty since Anna Benning did win SAG. And then obviously she lost to Hillary Swank for what might have been a fairly close race between them, I have to imagine. Swank was obviously the critic's darling and she won the Globe and the Critics' Choice. And Benning, aside from her SAG one, was in the Best Picture winner and had that momentum. I will say that of if we're looking at films that didn't get four out of five but still um, might have won, I would say it's weird to me that Casablanca wasn't nominated in all five. Ingrid Bergman was nominated for actress that year, but for, for whom the bell tolls. And of course, Humphrey Bogart was nominated for actor. And I know it didn't get the actress nomination, but I definitely think that it could have been a sweeping movie as well. Um, although it obviously, of course, did not get the nominations it needed to do that. It is strange that it didn't end up like that, even though you kind of understand intellectually why, like, looking at the context and everything. It's not like they expected Casablanca to be anything other than just another movie from 1942. Right. Although thinking about this question beforehand, it kind of draws into sharp focus the the relative dearth of Best Picture winners and nominees with two strong male and female performances, two Oscar-worthy performances um, that are both rise to the top of their respective categories. A lot, I mean, obviously a lot of Best Picture winners are pretty male-centric, but overall the kind of lack of strong Best Actress attention amongst Best Picture winners is pretty sad. I would agree. Yeah, I definitely agree on that. So, Chris, thank you for appearing on this episode. It was such a fun time talking about all these movies with you. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. Um, And like I said, this was a great year to talk about um i was really happy to do it and it gave me a chance to watch a lot of really good movies so yeah again thanks for having me on it was a it was a blast you too so how can we find you on social media well uh i am individually on twitter um my Oscars and I, which is also my blog, uh, my increasingly neglected blog where I'm trying to review every Best Picture nominee um, going back to the beginning. But my current main output is as co-host 
uh, of Categorically Oscars uh, podcast that I co-host with Calum Reed. Um, and that is on Twitter at Categorically O. And you can find us on Spotify and all your all the best uh, podcast platforms. Check us out. Great. So, as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Gabe the Spade with two underscores. You can find the Alternate Oscars page on Twitter at Alternate Oscars. You can find me on Letterboxd at Mr. Hulo. You can find me on Instagram at my regular name, Gabe Guarin with an underscore in between. And I think it's a good time to reveal that I'm also a contributor for Keith Love's movies, so please check out my reviews as well as the reviews of my colleagues there. Be sure to rate and review this podcast for visibility's sake. And until the next episode, sit back, relax, cheers, enjoy. And thank you for listening to the alternate Oscars.